Hey there, Crash Couch listeners. This is Chris, and as you can tell, this is not a normal episode of the Crash Couch. Instead, this is a recording that uh, co-host Joel Welch did on his podcast called The Sci-Fi Pubcast. In it, he has a discussion with his own hosts about the importance of The Expanse, as well as the discussion about the books, which is something a little bit different than what you get on this podcast. I wanted to make sure that since that is a friend of the show, of course, um, and it is a good podcast itself, I wanted to make sure that it got its own special recognition here, since obviously if you're listening to this, then you are a fan of The Expanse, just like the rest of us. So uh, that's what you're going to hear now. Um, As for The Crash Couch itself, Ernie and I will be recording an episode um, shortly detailing uh, the past, I think, three episodes of The Expanse. So uh, that'll be hitting your ears soon. But in the meantime, here is the Sci-Fi Pubcast, hosted by Joel Welch. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Pubcast. Come for a drink, but stay for the speculation. Expense is saved. Well done, Amazon. Wait, that's probably old news by now, but we're still ecstatic here at the pub. On this episode, we talk about why the Expanse is so important to science fiction. In the second part, we dive into the books. So have a belt or two. This is the Sci-Fi Pubcast. Greetings. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Pubcast, the podcast that tries to be a pub, and perhaps someday a pub that tries to be a podcast. I'm Joel. I'm the owner of this public uh, pub, so to speak. And with me today is my staff. And I'm looking around. Who do I see? Carrie, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. You're mostly. mostly. I'm, I'm, I might be a figment of your imagination. That tends to happen sometimes, especially when I, you know, wake up after a night of drinking. So yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll just <laughs> run with it. And we also have, oh God, he's back, Derek. No. Howdy ho, everybody. Hi, Derek. How you How are you doing today? I'm great. Okay. Uh, oh wait, how is the kitchen doing? It's great. In honor of the expanse, I am proud to offer Belcher stroganoff. As we know, in the belt, they don't really have meat. They use uh, fungus and mushrooms for everything. And I just so happened to found this, uh, find this fuzzy green growth underneath the refrigerator. So I'll be serving that. And the best news is we don't have to pay for anything, so it's all profit. Well, that's great. Uh, yeah. I, I, love, I love how he admits to all this stuff and doesn't think that we might be sued at some point for food poisoning. Yeah. Well, I'd like yeah. to think that people would appreciate my entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> Not if they're dead, they won't. <laughs> Yeah, well, it doesn't know. kill you, makes you stronger. Yeah, yeah, and it's the whole thing. But or the... gives you superpowers. <laughs> True, <laughs> and there's the corporate greed aspect, of, of course. But the thing is, right. I, I'm the guy who owns the business, whereas Derek's just a staff member. So I really don't understand that one. It might leave your skin grow, glowing blue, but aside from that, you'll be fine. Oh, lovely. Yes, uh, one portal molecule at a time. <laughs> uh, so wait, so, uh, just to catch people up, you just returned from Disney World. Isn't that right, Derek? Yes, I went to Disney World right before my birthday. And how was that? It rained every day, but aside from that, it was great. <laughs> did you spend a lot of time in, uh, was it Disney Springs? Uh, I did not go there this time, no. Oh, it's really? just a big shopping and restaurant district. So. And the bars, you know, you didn't go to my Irish pub? You didn't ask oh, yeah, me? sorry. Not uh, a drinker. Okay. So. okay. Uh, with me, of course, I've been busy with work because that's what I do mostly. And I'm going to be going away for work for the next couple of weeks on something. So uh, the next episode of uh, of the Sci-Fi Pubcast might be delayed by a week or two. So I apologize for that. Uh, just that, you know, work kind of pays my bills. But that's it. You are so fired, boss. I know. I know. It's terrible. Just don't tell the Ewoks, okay? Uh, they, <laughs> they, 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 I, I finally convinced them that, that you mean them no harm and, and won't... Um... So they won't eat you. They they they're still eyeing Derek though. Yeah yeah. Well you know uh, if I come back and if uh, the pub is still here, I, I will count that as a win. Yay. Yes. But today we're talking the expense, the novels and the TV show. 
uh, the expense is, you know, we've been talking about it uh, at least since 2015 when the TV series started on Sci-Fi Channel. And it's very current right now because of the whole Save the Expense campaign. Uh, because after season three, Sci-Fi Channel did not renew it. And we found out about that maybe two weeks ago. And as of last night, guess what, guys? What? What? It's official. Uh, season four of the Expense has been picked up by Amazon Prime Video. Yes. Yay! Thank you, I Amazon. Can, I, can, I have reason to keep my Prime subscription for one more year. <laughs> yeah. I have to actually go and subscribe it now, probably. But uh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I like this show so much, I'll spend the money because I have to buy my products legally. Uh, but, yes, thank you, Amazon. And I urge everyone to subscribe now to show your support for the expense. And you can, they already have season one and two streaming on it now. And I assume they'll be adding season three sometime after it finishes on Sci-Fi Channel. I mean, you can already stream it right now, but I think you have to pay for it right now. Well, I'm I'm watching it right now. If you have an Amazon Prime account, it's free to watch season one and two. I'm talking about season three. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess you could pay for the episodes individually, but... Yeah. yeah, that's how I do it right now. I buy it off of iTunes, and it hits iTunes, I think, on the next day, uh, on Thursday. So I, I can't take part in, say, uh, Chris McGuffin's live tweeting from the Crash Couch yeah. or, or Laura or anyone else who uh, does that. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, do you guys know all the shows that are on our network, When Nerds Attack? Uh, most of them, I think. Yes. I know there's When Nerds Attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but this one dedicated to The Expanse has been around for a while. It's called The Crash Couch. And Chris, I, I've heard of this, yeah, this yeah, strange show. Yes, and Chris, Chris McGuffin is kind of like their pilots of their ship. So uh, he's very supportive. He's been on, on, sh- on our show before, and he sends his greetings. So you're saying he's the MacGuffin of that show? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the Crash Couch has been around. It used to be part of the Random Jattered Network before uh, uh, we moved networks. Uh, we all part of the Expanse community, and I just want to uh, you know talk about the Expanse from in, in everywhere with everyone. Because that's how much I love the show. <laughs> How's that? Hey, it's all good. Good. So with this sci-fi podcast episode, we're doing it in two parts uh, because we are conscious of spoilers. And but we still want to talk about the content. So the first part is going to be spoilerly about the TV shows. So if you're not caught up on the TV show episodes, uh, yeah, you may want to pause it and come back to our little podcast episode. Uh, and in the part one, we're talking about the expanse and why is it important. There's a lot of contra- uh, contra- conversation. Controversy? Ad- not controversy. Conversation. Ah. Sorry, my speech impediment. It sometimes acts up. And I'm drinking green tea right now, not tequila. Hmm. It's terrible. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> clearly, uh, clearly, you're drinking the wrong thing. Absolutely. Well, since Sci-Fi did not renew the show two weeks ago, there was such a large campaign out there to save The Expanse. And we want to talk about it. And we want to try to put uh, The Expanse in context of the greater science fiction world and why it's so important to sci-fi and to pop culture in general. So that's part one. Mm-hmm. And part two, we are going to dive into the books. Uh, and so we are going to talk spoilers for part two in the books. And I don't know how to actually put the bookmark in on your feed for the podcast episode, but we will, before we go in and talk about the books, we will say, hey, we're talking about the books. So uh, yeah, beware of spoilers. Uh, <laughs> we've all read the books, right? Yes. All, I've read the seven books, but not the short stories. Yeah, I'm kind of. I've read the same. short stories as well. Yeah. Uh, I've read the books, but not the short stories or the novellas. Uh, it's on my to-do list. Be, uh, I'm going to get there sometime. And, uh, yeah, it'd be good just to dive into the books. So we'll have almost no one who's going to listen if you actually haven't read the books yet. But so be it. <laughs> and and just to get our chronology straight, um, the most recent episode at the time of this recording is Season 3, Episode 7, titled Delta V, which is the beginning of the Book 3 content. Right. Excellent. Well, it's kind of beginning of the of book three, but there's a little bit of book two still. And there's yeah, whatever. We'll get we'll get it. We'll, we'll get it. <laughs> well, first, let's do a little introduction to what actually is the expense. It's based off of, of course, the novels by James S. A. Corey, which is, of course is guess what, guys? It's not what? a real name. It's not. 
It's a pen name of two folks from the United States. It's Dan- a collective entity. Yes, and of course, I'm probably going to butcher their names. This is why you should never let me actually say names of people. That's Daniel Abrams and Ty Frank. Is Am I saying it right? Sounds, sounds about right. Yes, I apologize. Please don't, uh, I don't know, don't take out contracts on my life. Uh, so, but they're, they're you know, long-time writers in, the, in the, the greater fan community, and they're both very active, and they're consultants to the TV show. So that's kind of cool. And, of course, I want to just say that, uh, well, the t- production company of the TV show is called Alcon. I can't even say it now. Alcon? Alcon, yeah, Entertainment. Thank you, Alcon, Alcon <laughs> wherever you pronounce it, for uh, actually making this show because it's awesome. And they're so cool and they're so, I know, progressive and open-minded that they actually got, uh, they have these two writers show up to actually consult on the set. And as part of the writing team as well, which is awesome to see. Yeah, that's well, it depends. It dep- uh, writer involvement can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, um, depending on how they're changing it. But normal, normally for you know a production, the writer's the last person the uh, production staff wants on the set. Yeah, I'm not sure. I never actually worked on a production before. Uh, I've actually worked on TV before, or film, but maybe there's be like a, a something new. Maybe they will give me a call and I can come down and I can help you know, write or actually consult or provide security or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, no, that's that's good. Now, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Guys, I know we can hit several different, I don't know, themes right now, but why, first thing, if, and if you do say yes, why do you think The Expanse is so important to science fiction? Carrie, let's start with you. Oh, well, it shows us what is possible for one thing in because because all of the sci all of the the actual science that they're they're dealing with is stuff that you know two hundred years into our current future, assuming we don't blow ourselves up in the next six months or so, what they're doing on the expanse looks like it could be possible with our given the progression of our current technology. Yeah, I think it's, well, as I've said previously, I'm all about realism. And to see that, yes, this is how technology could evolve over the period of two, three hundred years. Yeah, I can definitely see it because it, it's reasonable. It's rational. Mm-hmm. It's something yeah. that you can go, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like right now, we don't have anyone on Mars I know of besides robots. But given time... Yeah, I, I suspect that we as a species will have people on Mars, even ever so briefly. And who knows? Right. Yeah, if, exactly. yeah. Okay, and you, Derek, what's your opinions of The Expanse and its role in the greater world of storytelling? Well, it's certainly not- noticeable for using realistic technology and the laws of physics, but I think the more important reason for it is that it shows – a future where people are just like they are today. They're lazy. They're stupid. They don't think straight. Uh, they're violent. They're horrible to each other. It's not a Star Trek future where everyone is nice and idyllic. Uh, they're just awful human beings for the most part. To oh, the point where it kind of really makes feel, you Derek. fret for humanity. <laughs> wow, Derek, man, you got dark there really quickly. Well, it, it, that's the way the show is. I mean, I, I, I don't. I mean, uh, that's not really my style personally, but that's what makes the story notable and interesting that, you know, there's these awful, awful people <laughs> just everywhere in this show. Yeah, it, it is. It is rather depressing show the way they show the legs that people will go to, you know, do horrible shit to each other. Especially in the later novels, which we'll get into later. Yeah. Yeah. But saying that, there's always, you know, our, our heroes, right? People who may make difficult decisions, often to their own detriment, for the greater good or for something else. You know, there's a lot of self-sacrificing going on in The Expanse. Yes. Now, can you take a very jaded, cynical approach that these people are delusional and they're acting uh, not of their own self-interest, but because, I don't know, they're altruistic and that... They're just being silly. Well, maybe, but it's storytelling, and I think that's part of the human experience. Mm. I think it speaks to that. Yeah, very dark. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, that little that little glimmer of hope is not always readily seen on the expanse. Right. 
But saying that, there's been dark science fiction before. And, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, I don't know, it's Blade Runner. You know, it's it's a subgenre, the whole cyberpunk thing too. Oh, well, there's you know, Blade Runner, Hunger Games, stuff like that. You know, post-apocalyptic. Yeah. I mean, even ba- even Babylon Five wasn't always you know sunshine and roses with regards to the future. Yeah, it, it did always have a lot of humor in it, though. Yeah, and and most of the characters were pretty up and up, pretty noble. I mean, EarthGov wasn't, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But with the expense, I think there's humor, but it's a very dark sense of humor. Each time Amos opens up his mouth, I just laugh. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> because he's he's so on the ball. You know, he's just great. You know, uh, and it, it, we all need some psychopath to bring a humor to a little show. You know. <laughs> oh god. Well, let's refocus. Besides the dark noir nature of the expanse, why is it so important? Like, why why do people care about this? That they spent last two weeks on Twitter and on other social media platforms advocating. It's, you know, it's renewal or it's picked up by another network, which actually happened. You know, is it just because the fans love it that Amazon picked it up? Or did Amazon pick it up because they think it's a great story and has several more seasons behind it to tell? The other thing is that there's been a real dearth of um, good science fiction television lately. We had we had a lot of great shows in the 90s. We had Battlestar Galactica and we haven't had that many great space ship based science fiction shows lately and especially the sci-fi channel has been going through a bit of a rough patch the past five or ten years where they've just been doing sharknados and whatnot so this was kind of their big step back in towards respectability and of course that's gone now (laughs) yeah it's kind of like i don't know what's happening at sci-fi and i don't know you know the business end in terms of the contracts but i gotta shake my head why they just did not choose to renew the expense yeah, my understanding well, is that they looked at just the live numbers and that's it. But I could be completely I mean, wrong. I mean, I understand it from a financial perspective because this show wasn't even getting one million people on Sci-Fi Channel. And they did not have a good distribution deal with Alcon. Um, I believe somehow the terms of the contract only showed the live ratings or something like that. It didn't take into account time shifting viewing, which, of course, that's what everybody does nowadays. I think so it just take into account streaming. But yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. So it, it wasn't a favorable contract for the Sci-Fi Channel to pick up, and it just wasn't doing good numbers. So it was just one of those shows that's really popular with a small niche of people, but just does not pull in the numbers to justify keeping it on the air. Yeah, it's kind of like Star Trek, or Firefly, or yeah. Arrested Development. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's the last one? No, forget it. Arrested Development. <laughs> okay, now to answer my own question, why is the expense so important? I go back to the whole business about the story. The story is what is paramount. Uh, the story is essential to everything else. And by the story, I mean everything from the setting to the themes to the underlying what the story is trying to tell you about the greater good of humanity or the greater ba- or view of, of humanity. The writing, uh, everything about that. The acting. Oh, we've got to talk about the, some of the actors because uh, I just find the acting to be first rate in the, in the expense. Agreed. Agreed. It takes a certain talent to act in a character that, that becomes loved. And I think by season three, there's a lot of characters that people just they fall in love with the characters because they're so realistic and they, and they have their own style. Okay, what's your favorite character on the expense? Um, I think right now my favorite character is Bobby because cool. she's such a bad, she's such a huge badass, and yeah, I'm just watching her mow through everyone is is just fun to it's just fun to see. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, how about you, Derek? My favorite character has always been Christian Avasarla because she's this wizened old grandmother who curses worse than anyone else and is this kind of ultimate alpha female you know badgering and bullying everyone in order to do the right thing i love her she's my favorite yeah and bobby yeah, is a close awesome. second yeah i like ava sorella myself she's probably my number one favorite but i i get like i like a lot of them i like uh you know okay we should okay i'm going to try to pronounce some of the actor's name and i'm going to mispronounce it so please step in 
So Upper Salel is played by who again? I get Agdashu. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. I'm we, not, I'll let you guys butcher that. Listen, <laughs> we just, it's, a, it's an educational process. I get it. We are going to make mistakes and we mean no disrespect. In fact, we are trying to be as respectful as possible because we love all these actors. Uh, so I actually like uh, people like Qatar, uh, played by uh, Nick Terabai. And yes, yeah, so let's take a moment here and raise our, our, our glasses to Qatar because Kotiar. he's Kotiar. Uh, because he's you know he's a loyal soldier and spy, and he uh, did uh, he uh, he found his way in life Sadly. and in death. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Oh well, that was hard. Yes, I also like Fred Johnson, Chad Coleman. Yeah, I have all the time. Yeah, all for yeah, Fred he's Johnson. interesting too. Yes, and and Amos, of course. Yeah, Amos. And all of them, right? Uh, you know, uh, and Alex. Alex is Alex is fun. <laughs> you know what I love? I, I love that he. I love that he's kind of like the the, the peacemaker of the group. Yeah. Hey, you notice we haven't even mentioned the two stars, Jim Holden and, and, and Naomi Vigata, played by Stephen Strait, and of course Dominique uh, Tipper. Yeah, so, they're awesome too. Yeah, they're awesome, but like, but they're not the go-to favorites. They're just they're they're mostly the show, right? <laughs> They're kind of like the, I mean, the straight men of the show. Yeah, they're, you know, just, they're just oh, I mean, it, it's hard to take. I mean, you kind of take it for granted. They they're, they're like the backbone of the show, right there. It's like they're like the power couple. Yeah. Even even when they're not together, they're like it's like they it's like they have to. The show is kind of kind of sort of revolving around them, but not. Yeah. And it's funny because you can follow these actors on Twitter. Some of them are very active. Uh, Cass Anvar, he's all over Twitter. It's always Dominique Tipper. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. And again, I may be mispronouncing some of these names. I apologize. But follow them. Uh, oh, and going back, uh, you want a uh, great person to follow is, of course, Daniel A. Uh, Daniel A. James A. Saifari? Yes, uh, because of his uh, role. Uh, you know, he's all over Twitter. Now, he, he sometimes gets political, but I, I don't mind that. Yeah, Daniel yeah. Abrams. Uh, he's one of the co-writers of you know, goes with the pen name James S. A. Corey. You know, that guy, you know, the guy who created you know the Expanse, partly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I just again the acting is first rate, and we can spend an entire episode, t- t- you know, talking about these actors and you know where they were trained, where they're from, what did they bring to the show. Uh, I think that is part of the reason why the Expanse works so well for our time period right now in 2018, just because. They convey everything they need to do to propel the story forward in a compelling and interesting way. And it's also such a diverse cast, too. So that's that's with all the um, spotlights on diversity in, in entertainment. It's, it's nice to see that that's actually happening on at least one show that people are watching. My God, it's been what? It's been almost over 20 minutes and we finally got to diversity. I love it <laughs> because yeah, well, that's one of the things that I think about when I think about the show being realistic, because 200 years from now, there's not going to be a lot of white people anymore. You know, we will all be intermarrying and erasing gen, not gender gaps. <laughs> What's the other one? Racing, um, racial line. <coughs> yes. Yes. But no, because I mean, because we, we, as, as we see in the expanse, you know, there are, there are new, uh, right. Ra- "Quote unquote racial gaps for me because now it's not black, white, and Asian. It's it's Earth, Mars, and the Belt. So yeah, we can. It's it's it's, it's heartening to see that 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 the things that we're worried about right now aren't going to be such a big big issue. But it's also depressing to know that they're going to find other ways to divide each other. Yeah, race is a construct, and you can see how it changes with time. Why can't we just consider everyone to be humans and leave it at that but no exactly. human nature gets in the way and let me ask you this why isn't there any redheads in the show can you recall one redhead um well redheads are already genetically very rare today i think 200 years from now they won't exist anymore exactly half my family's redhead you think you think my family has a future in the, in the expense <laughs> well actually and i know we're not talking about the books yet but in the sh- in the books Anna's supposed to be a redhead yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not, which is not to say I would, I would recast Elizabeth Mitchell. No, I, I love the, I love the cat, I love her casting, but yeah, Anna was supposed to be a redhead, which is why I got, got a bit confused when I saw that Elizabeth Mitchell had been cast as Anna. All right, so. it could be a dye job. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. But I also read that uh, blonde hair is not going to exist in a few hundred years either. That that's slowly going away as well. Yeah, and blue eyes and all this. Yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting to see. But then there's new little, I know, uh, mutations because of gravity and, and the belters and all that. And you get different progressions as well in terms of uh, language and culture. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know any? Uh, was it Belsenese or how do you spell? How, how do you say that? How, what's the word they use to describe the uh, Belt language? Belt. Is it is it Beltawana or Belter Creole? Well, I guess Belter Creole would be the easy term yeah. to use. Yeah. Which is just another reason why the expanse is so good because it understands that and it incorporates elements of that in the storytelling. In my humble and, opinion. Well, it's like the Belter language is is in a way, at least in the books, it's a it's like a amalgam of some of a whole bunch of languages, and it when I was reading at least the la, the la, the very the last two expanse books, it suddenly dawned on me how much you know, like French and German and Japanese I understand is like oh I okay yeah I I, I understood that sentence great cool. Yeah, and I even get like regional dialects. Like, look at Mars uh, with uh, Alex speaking with a Texas drawl. Right. Exactly. Yeah, from Mars, Texas drawl. Right. Well, was it, <laughs> is it, is it, was it Mars settled by Texans? Exactly. The, yes. In the, I think I read somewhere future. that it's actually an intentional artifice that they that it's not that they're from Texas; it's that they just decided to talk in a southern accent. or I don't know. I read that somewhere. I don't know if that's true. I think I think it was in one of the books where they they said that Mars was basically settled by Texans, mm. uh, Pacific Islanders, and uh, Middle Eastern Mr. Yeah. Middle Easterners. So so yeah. they they kind of picked up. They kind of you know they used the Texas accent, and so for some some people you have a very strong Texas accent, and some people have a more you know. Your uh, uh, New Zealander accent, like like Bobby. Yeah, a, a Kiwi accent, and it's amazing how they actually got actors from these places to play these characters. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it just goes back to the whole storytelling, and, and again, harping on that. And let's not forget, we mentioned all this genetic stuff and how it becomes almost like social genetics. But the show is so good, even from a hard STEM science view, with the physics, with the biology. With just the concept of distances involved in space. Uh-huh. And it's not like where Star Trek, you just warp speed to the next planets. Here, in the expanse, it takes some time. Lots of time. Lots of time. I, I, I think I think they, at least in the last couple of episodes, they, they kind of hinted on a little more exactly how much time it takes to do stuff. But in the show, they really have a done as much of that and i understand you know, from a from a um, visual storytelling point of view that you can't really you have to compromise somewhere but they've they've done pretty good with what they've been able to get across that would be hilarious if in the tv show it was like launching missiles and then they sit down and then on the screen it says 30 minutes later <laughs> the missiles are hitting <laughs> No, I think that I think that's the kind of thing that would have kept the, the expanse canceled. So don't don't say that. <laughs> yeah. But it, it it reflects things like uh, we haven't had a major naval engagement in the real world since you know the Second World War. Maybe you know smaller engagements for Korea and Vietnam from an American perspective. But if there was ever going to be a major naval engagement, especially dealing with submarines, uh, not the boomers, but the hunter killers, it's going to be like that. You're going to have a firing solution and it's going to take some time for the torpedo to hit the other ship. And it's so well, well reflected in space, which the distances are even greater. Well, yeah, I think, I think someone, I think I, someone else I've been talking to said that the space battles on the expanse are more akin to um, submarine fights than than anything else because you can't really you can kind of see where what it is you're aiming at but not really yeah it reminds, and, the, and the distances are so much bigger yeah it, it reminds me of all the tom clancy books i read as a kid uh what's uh, uh like a the hunt for red october yeah all, all those big like really military genre naval engagements where you, you just it builds the pressure it's a very different type of warfare because you have humanity fighting in machines Mm-hmm. And in itself, it's a very different sense of fear and horror that goes along with it. 
Like who exactly. wants who wants to die in a tube? I don't want to die in a tube. I don't want to die at all. Well, guess what, Derek? Death and taxes. Just saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, let's go back to diversity. What do you guys think about the show's treatment of, say, family units or same-sex partnerships or all that, where it really no one cares anymore? What do you guys think? I, about I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, it's like no, I I think it's great that it's become so commonplace in the future world of the expanse that no one really cares. Yeah. It's not like a- it's, it's, I, I mean, it's something, something that was talked about on, on one of the uh, Star Trek podcasts I listened to is, you know, when they were going back through the, through the original series, you know, you had, you had Uhura on the, on the bridge, you had Sulu on the bridge. You had, well, they, they made a bigger deal about Spock, but it's like, they were, they were there. And, no one made any kind of a big. De- no one on the show, at least, made a big deal about the fact that there was a black woman on the bridge or an Asian on the bridge. That was just, you know, this is this is how things are in the future, and that's a really good thing to see even carried forward to the expanse. Yeah, and I really like how they just treat it as yeah, just the way the society is. You know, it's no nothing biggie. It's it's just way it is, and yeah, there's economics that comes into play if you want to have you know a child. Uh, if you have the money, there's has to do with you know with the, you know uh, certain regulations and lotteries and all that, which was kind of neat at a one level. But in, in terms of just being in a relationship, no one cares. That's great to see. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe maybe there's some progress in the future. Maybe not all people are bad. <laughs> and I, I think that's just realistic because I I would like to think that ignorance and hatred, you know, eventually will lose out to uh, compassion, love. Wisdom, or other things to hate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or something bigger to hate. <laughs> yeah, I hate I hate to be cynical, but I think that's more that's probably true. <laughs> I like the fact that in the expanse, you got you know you got the big players like the United Nations and Mars, uh, but we also have all these small little I don't know, factions like the OPA. And to me, each time I, I see the OPA. I think of the Irish Republican Army, or I think of numerous different terrorism groups during the 60s and 70s who are fighting for independence in their own minds. Mm-hmm. And how they do they, their trade graft, how they are involved in criminal activity, all of that is actually reflected in history, in our own history. Yeah, of course, it's fiction, but the writers definitely mine history to incorporate elements of history within the storytelling. I always well, associated them with the PLO and Hamas. Absolutely. The same example works. Well, and it's also good because, you know, as, you know, so many people, at least these days, seem to be forgetting our history. It's good that at least some people, it's good to see that at least some people are remembering things that have happened in the past. And while they are showing that, well, not a whole lot has changed. At least they are drawing on past events to like kind of put this back out in front of people and say, "Hey, look, this kind of stuff doesn't work," or maybe it does. Or, or, or it works at such a cost to you know to mm-hmm. humanity, and also the fact that it plays with simple explanations. Oh, it's just the terrorists. Well, mm-hmm. in reality, it's not that simple. Exactly. Or the, the government is good. The government's trying to protect everything about our own interests. Well, yes and no, but it's not that simple. Yeah. Especially when you have villains. Like, who's your favorite villain in the in the show? Uh, on the show? Yeah. I think Mal, because, you know, you almost, there are times when you almost want to like him. Yeah. But he's such a bastard. <laughs> and it's like, as soon as, as soon as you, as soon as he sees that, you know, no, this, this is something that we could actually exploit and try to find out, figure out. It's like, it's like. Like he was so close to to wanting to you know take May, uh, with him when he left, and then as soon as he saw what the expanse, what the protomolecule was doing, what Katoa was doing, the the switch in his brain going, well, no, we have to, we have to, we have to keep going for science. Just like, dude, no, no, there are there are certain lines even science doesn't cross. Uh, oh come now, what do you have against rich people? <laughs> um, they're rich and they can fuck with people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My favorite bad guy is Aaron Wright. 
again, his first name is Sadevi, uh-huh. Sederer, Aaron Wright. He's such a politician and, and everything we hate about politicians. Like he's the quintessential politician, except that he actually has a backbone and a spine and because he's evil. So he uh-huh. does all these nasty little things and he's just so smooth. Until he gets caught. Yeah. And let's see what happens from there. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think we've seen the last of him. No, I think I, Sean Doyle plays him amazingly. Yeah, the bad guys and the bad guys in the series are are so reprehensible. <laughs> it's it's not it's not really uh I don't know I don't I don't really find them to be sympathetic or morally ambiguous in any way. They're just bastards. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I I know we're not getting into the books yet, but I'm kind of dreading the introduction of of Marco and Duarte oh, yeah. into the show because yeah. those two just. Freak me out. Those are those two just freak me out. Yeah, I mean they're they're horrible, but I, I thought they were very interesting villains. A lot more so than Mao or uh, Aaron Wright. I actually like Anderson Dawes. I don't actually consider him to be a villain. He's just more on the, the dark side than the light side. Yeah, he's Played by Jared Harris, um, who's one of my favorite actors. He's he's kind of he's kind of chaotic. He's almost chaotic neutral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not. Again, going back to the whole OPA and how you have you know more radical people and more moderate people trying to fight for the same goals, but they just want to use what well, they, they think different methods work better. Yeah. So the whole Anderson Dawes versus, uh, uh, versus Fred Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like going back to the Irish politics, you know, Sinn Féin versus the IRA and the whole debate about, aren't they the same? And you have all this stuff going on. Well, it's like weren't, weren't they? Are, I and you would know this better than I would, Joel. But are, weren't like Synthane and wasn't that just like a more militant uh, offshoot of the IRA? No, it's the well. If you listen to people who are unfavorable to the movement, uh, it's basically was the PR wing of the Irish Republican Army. Uh, uh, if you listen to Synthane themselves, they're a standalone peaceful political party uh, using democracy to achieve their own ends. In which case, is a united right. Ireland. But that's a whole different po- uh, podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, we, we see reflections of the real world in the expense. And it goes back to story, the story. And it's amazing. Oh, let's talk about set design. I love the set designs. I think they're so uh, practical. I'm about utility. So when I see spaceships designed to function like they wouldn't in real space, I just love that. Uh, and CGI. Yeah. I, I once said something slightly negative about the uh, uh, Mao's yacht, uh, the CGI, which I sense have been, uh, I know, attacked. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think some CGI is better than others, depending on the episodes. But uh, overall, I think it definitely adds to the show. Yeah, I mean, the, the launching of the Nauvoo and the bringing back of the Nauvoo this, this season was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, even even though I know they 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 kind of screwed up on the on the science, but but um, Alex's flight around the uh, the the moons of of Jupiter, that was that was also pretty trippy to see. Oh, absolutely. I actually uh, I was I've been watching some old episodes of Babylon Five, and yeah. man, the CGI in the mid nineteen nineties. My God, I was a I was a young man during this time period, and I can't watch it. It's so bad. It, it, like the CGI from the from Babylon Five belongs in a museum. I still yeah. think it looks good. Not the first season, but oh, wow. season two on. I I still like it. Oh, I mean, wow. obviously it's it's a it's of a certain style, but the 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 big spaceship battles in like seasons three and four. Yeah, those those look great. Yeah, I, I think so. Still, I was watching. Joel, the- go back and watch the last Starfighter and then talk oh, to me about the CGI. You know, in, oh, I love in, this. In Babylon Five. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I'm saying is that the CGI. It's a TV show. It's really good for a TV show in the expense. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. <laughs> Not everything can be Star Wars quality. Quality. So, uh, especially, I get especially that. not for television. No, definitely not. And again, it's just. I look at it, does it add to the storytelling or does it distract from the storytelling? And I think for the most part, it works well. Oh, uh, by the way, speaking of Babylon 5, that is also coming to Amazon Prime in July. So if anyone hasn't seen Babylon 5, you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. It's the greatest show ever made. And just great because I just bought the entire you know, series off of iTunes last month for like $50. <laughs> it was on sale. Well, now you have it forever. Yeah, yeah, once I have to subscribe to it. Yeah, <laughs> until my computer dies. Okay. 
Uh, before we move on to the books, what about the speculation? Because I think this series does wonders when they, you know, the speculation. Because if you haven't read the books, you don't know where it, it's going to turn next in terms of the plot. Mm-hmm. What is the proto-monocle? And there's this element of mystery to it. And I like that. And well, I think they, I think they finally mentioned, I think they finally mentioned this last episode that Proto Molecule was something they found on one of the moons of Phoebe. Jupiter yeah, on PB, and that's what they've been experimenting with this whole time. But it took them three seasons to get to, you know, just say, "Hey, look, this is something we found that isn't from our solar system, and we've been playing with it. We've been playing with it for three years." Yeah, and I could have sworn they mentioned it before that when they, when, they raided, they, they when they raided they the base. They mentioned the incident on Phoebe, but I don't remember that. I don't remember if they actually mentioned that the proto molecule was found on Phoebe. Okay, uh, I, they they alluded to it during the fight scene on the Donager. So you have Holden talking to uh, uh, the one uh, Martian intelligence officer mm-hmm. during the firefight, or just right after, saying, "Okay, we're both going to die. You may as well tell me why you are so interested." And he said that uh, the, he he related this story where. Uh, they found that Phoebe has been cleared, uh, that all the hard drives were wiped, and it was a big fire to kind of cleanse the place. Right, so but they just, they all actually they all actually talk about what they what it is they found and wh- where it is they thought that they, it had come from. Yeah, which is again, it's interesting how they don't connect all the dots in an obvious way. Right. Yeah, like I when I watched season one, I had not read the books and I knew nothing of what was going on. And I remember the the season one finale's ender was kind of showing like a black, like, you know, alien goo grabbing someone. And that was the first time when I started asking, wait, is that supposed to be like an alien alien? So up up to that point, I had no clue that this was going to be about extraterrestrial aliens. Well, I mean, the the, the molecule is kind of like extra... Solar system primordial goo. Yeah. Is it life or is it mechanical or is it both? Yes. Hmm. Let's speculate <laughs> on that. More. Yeah. 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 Maybe it can cure a, a hangover. That would be useful. But, uh... Yeah. Like I basically through, throughout all of season one, I just thought it was about humans fighting humans. And it, it wasn't really grabbing my interest. I was kind of more watching it out of a sense of completion. But then when we got to that final scene of season one with what I assumed to be alien and an alien thing, I was like, okay, now I'm interested because now I know that all these little factional fightings are about to be interrupted by an actual alien invasion of some kind. So that's what hooked me. Except that it's not an alien invasion, really. Well, I know. I'm saying that 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 was my theory at the time watching it, not knowing anything. Come on. It's not like it's threatening the entire human species. Yes, it is. Uh, maybe. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. Yes, mm, it is. Yeah, okay. It reaches out, Joel. <laughs> I think this is a good point uh, to declare the first part to be over and move on to the book part, part number two. What do you guys think? Sure. Okay, sure. just just to uh, reiterate, uh, we are going to talk about all the books by James S.A. Corey in the Expense series, and we will, will be talking spoilers. So if you haven't read the books at this point... Stop listening. Please do yourself a favor because these books are really good. You should go out and buy them. Go read them and then come back and listen to this. Absolutely. They're published by Orbit Books, by the way. That's the publishing house. We should always give credit to the publishers. And yes, it's, of course, by James S.A. Corey, Daniel Abrams, and Ty Frank. Okay. You're still there, guys? I'm still here. Customers. Customers. You're still there, customers? Listeners. Okay, good. Now we can talk about books. Okay, Derek, you can start because this was your idea. <laughs> it was? <laughs> yes. Where do you want to talk about this? So far, there's been seven books out there, right? Uh, yep. I think there's at least two more coming, maybe three. Yes. Yeah, two it's more. supposed to be nine, a trilogy of trilogies. Right. And yeah. I, I uh, found out today that uh, number eight is called Tiamat's Wrath. And it's Tiamat's been, Wrath. Tiamat's Wrath. Thank you. And it's being released December 4th of 2018. So yeah, another mere seven, eight months down the road. So. Yeah, that, t- that title doesn't make me nervous at all. It really, no, it, no. It, it is making me very, very nervous. 
<laughs> I gotta admit, I cannot keep the titles together at all because they're way too similar. So I just think of them as book one, two, three, four, because I cannot remember which one is which. Yeah, and it's. Uh, Go ahead, Kurt. No, okay. So I, I I have to get the I have to get this off my chest a bit because this the show has it introduced Drummer really really early into the into the um, the story, and I hadn't read all. I hadn't caught up with the books by the time of the set by the second season. Um, I've read them all now, but I spent the first two seasons of the expanse referring to drummer as not Sam quote unquote, not Sam, because she's ba- she basically took the, the place of Sam yeah. um, in some, in some respects. And we all know what happened to Sam in, in Abaddon's gate. Yeah. Um, and so, but then, that that what kind of way I was I was okay okay Jarmer's going to be fine, but now she's captain of the Behemoth, and we all know what happened to the captain of the Behemoth in Abaddon's Gate. I'm like, fuck. Oh, so you're thinking now you, she's in peril again? Yeah, but she's already. <laughs> this is the Games of Thrones. Come on. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've only read these books once, so I'm kind of struggling to remember all the details. Oh, I know, and I try to find some uh, summaries online, I, and I. I yeah. Sam, Sam got killed in. She was like in, the cute engineer on series. Yeah, with, yeah okay. on on Tycho that was that kept that kept the Rossi. Oh um, right. right, yeah, okay, that's and, right, yeah, okay. And then the captain of and then the captain of the Behemoth was a complete who. Okay, yes, he was a complete asshole, but he also got himself killed. So now the drummer is the captain of the Behemoth. I'm like, what? Yeah, but they're already doing so many things so differently from the books. I I wouldn't worry. I I, re- I realize that, but get but I mean, if if Drummer is going to eventually get to where she's you know head of the Belter Coalition, she can't be. She, it's like my my brain is thinking she can't be in charge of, of the Behemoth because yeah, that that's never a good job. Yeah, so I I, I obviously I, I watched the show before the books and. Um, the first season, like I said, it didn't really grab me. I kind of just stuck with it. But then the beginning of season two, which was the end of book one, that I thought was amazing and thrilling when they uh, staged the assault on the research laboratory of Mao. And then they had to, you know, and then the, and then the series asteroid was like hurtling towards Earth like that. I thought was really exciting. It's too bad that they couldn't have ended season one with that. But oh, well, and that's what finally got me to read the books, because I was so excited by that ending. It's like, I can't wait for the show to eke things out. I got to read everything at once and find out what's going to happen. So I started reading book two from there. And for a long time, book two was my favorite because it introduced my two favorite characters, Avasarla and Bobby. And I just thought it was a very thrilling plot compared to season one. Season one is definitely my least favorite book. It's, it's a little slow and mundane, and uh, season two, just every chapter was just thrilling and edge of your seat and ended on a cliffhanger. I thought it was really well written. And then uh, season three and four, I felt were, you know, they're all right. The, the, the mystery of the alien space station was very interesting. But uh, book four, I had kind of had a problem with spending all that time on the alien planet with the awful people. Did you guys like that one? I thought I, I, I liked it. And, and there are seeds within that that are going I think are going to play heavily into this last trilogy. So I, I like I, I I like that they had to set that they had they kind of had to set that up to bring in a couple of threads for this last trilogy. Yeah, I find I found that uh, the number four book, so uh Sibula Burn, it was a strange book because it took place on that one planet for the most part. It wasn't part of a larger conspiracy arc. Uh, I think it's, it's starting it, it's we need to see if it is going to be used for say book eight or book nine. And also <laughs> it didn't have Naomi or Alex in it because they couldn't <laughs> handle the gravity. So it only starred Holden and Amos. So that, that wasn't great either. Yeah. And just the well, idea. Well, Naomi, Naomi's the only one who couldn't handle the gravity, but Amos is, um, Alex is the pilot. He had to be on, he had to be on the Rossi. Yeah. He's yeah. a Martian. So, yeah. And the whole idea of Jim Holden being a diplomat, well, that's kind of absurd. But uh, uh-huh. yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. It's like sending a Hollywood it, it, star, uh, uh, you know, to the UN. <laughs> Wait, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, Holden's kind of like, you know, Holden's kind of like this guy who's like, 
he wants to do the right thing and he always gets stuck with the shit jobs. It's like no one else is no one else is going to do this, so I guess someone's got to. Yeah, and there's all there's a high prob, you know, probability of death. Okay, let's send Horton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh wow! And then uh, books five, six, and seven. Right. I love them all. Well, no, that's not true. the The beginning of book five I didn't like because it was like four unrelated standalone stories starring each of the characters that had nothing to do with one another. And I was like, what is this? This is like four little short stories that mean nothing. But then halfway through that book, it happens. And then all of a sudden, it becomes extremely interesting and very exciting. So five and six, I thought, were a real high point. And uh, we finally brought all the other characters back. Because the one thing that really disappointed me about the books is that they introduced characters that I love, and then they just disappear. Like Bobby and Avasarla are, are POV characters in book two, and then they, I think they're only cameos in three and four. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so I was really disappointed by that, because when I got to the end of book two, I was like, man, Avasarla and Bobby are the best, and then they're just gone after that. <laughs> so I was very happy when book, uh, I think it's five and six, they finally, rather than just having one or two perspective characters, they have a bunch of people, and it just becomes a big Tom Clancy sprawling epic. That's that's what I really loved. Yeah, and just to uh, refer to the books by their proper names. I know we're doing by numbers, so it's easier. <laughs> Sorry. But this is for reference. This is for educational. It's a didactic purpose. Uh, so book five is uh, Nemesis Games. Book six is Babylon Ashes, which is maybe a, a reference to Babylon 5. Probably not. Probably the whole old, no, old, old, old Testament Babylon. Okay. City of, I think it's. I think it's Old <laughs> Testament Babylon. Yeah, yeah, lots of yeah. especially, especially, especially given what happened, what was, what was going on in book, in book six. I, it's definitely a you know. Yeah, there's a lot of Greek, Hebrew. Uh, I know. There's, there's uh, a lot. There's a lot of world. mythological references. Yeah, definitely. In the in these book, at least in the book titles. Yeah, uh, book seven is uh, Persepolis Rising. Uh-huh. And going back to the well, uh, book three, that's Abaddon's Gate. Abaddon's Gate. Abaddon's Gate. Yeah. And of course, book two is Caliban's War, and number mm-hmm. one is Leviathan Wakes. And it's funny in the sense that if you try to figure out these references to the book names, you won't find them in the Expanse world itself. That just it refers back to our own little world in right. some really esoteric way, which is kind well, of. I mean, Levi- Leviathan is you know. And you can you can think about the the mythological Leviathan from like the yeah. story of Persis and stuff like that. And then if you follow the the logic of that, it's like oh yeah, the some of these titles don't make me nervous at all, which is why which is why I you know, Team Matt's Wrath is just like hmm. that's not even, that, that that it's not even that the that the book that the mythology makes me nervous. It's just that you know Tiamat is also the you know in Dungeons and Dragons the five headed goddess of, of darkness and like no that doesn't make me nervous <laughs> yeah and what could possibly happen what could possibly go wrong you know uh, let me let me ask you to a question um the ending of book six the trick that they used to defeat the bad guys did you find that to be anticlimactic because it didn't bother me because they had been setting that up since the beginning of book five so I didn't think it was a cop-out I thought it was a, a clever way of defeating the enemy indirectly did you like that part? Yeah, I'm just trying it to. Was, it was definitely better than say Twilight, where they you know, they 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 hint at this big war that's going to happen, and then just everyone just goes home. Yeah, can you, Derek? Can you uh, reference uh, the trick or uh, explain? Okay, it? I, I, was, I was trying to be vague to avoid spoilers, but it's it's when the enemy fleet is going to come through the the Stargate to attack them, and Naomi figures out that by doing some little hitchy glitch to the gate, to the other gate, it can cause people going through the gate to not, to just like dissolve and not come through right. and get killed. Right. It's the whole so like monster she figured out it, that yeah. if we do this, this, and this, and the invading fleet will just get killed when they come through the gate. Yeah, which is really neat. I think we could see that it was forecasted or telegraphed, but how else would you defeat a superior military force, which is so much more superior in terms right. of, of its tech? right. I mean, yeah. ba- they were basically in an impossible situation by the end of by the end of uh, book six. So it's like either either they have to make make the the enemy fleet go away somehow, or they're all going to get killed. And personally, since I hate hated Marco, I was glad that he got removed from 
the universe. <laughs> oh, that that reminds me of my all-time favorite badass moment from the books when Naomi spaces herself to get to another yeah. ship to escape her captors. That yeah. was such a horrifying sequence. But man, that that was that was gutsy. <laughs> oh, and I, I also love the fact that she says to Philippe, uh, she, I think she says, "Before you kill yourself, come and find me." Like she knows that eventually the guilt of what he did is going to just drive him to suicide and she wants a chance to say goodbye to him before that happens. That was... Or she wants a chance to, to talk him out of it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love that scene because, you know, he was all kind of like, you know, smarmy and full of himself and she's like, I know what's going to happen to you in the future and, you know, I'm going to be there for you. Well, I mean, he's a, te- he's a teenager and he's he's, you know... A brainwashed teenager. <laughs> He's a brain. Yes, he's a brainwashed teenager, um, and it's the Kylo Ren. <laughs> yeah, so he's been led on this this path, think, made, made to think that everything he's doing is correct, and it doesn't doesn't matter that he's you know killing people or a planet because really, why would you care that Earth can no longer make food for the rest of the solar system? And, and yeah. that, to me, was the most heinous, horrible, villainous thing that Marcos did. He made his teenage son pull the trigger on that. Oh, my God. That's that was, so yeah. bad. That sucked. Yeah, it's funny how they really step up the villains later on in the books. Like, each time there's a new book or new villain, it just it, it's just so much worse. <laughs> you know, like, look at Winston Durate, or Drott, uh, yeah, from uh, the planet Laconia. How's that, guys? It's like, come on, what a monster. But you, you can tell what he's trying to do. It just what he's trying to do is so evil. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. he's, he's kind, in that way, he's kind of like Thanos. You know, he, he you know, everything he, th- everything he's doing, he, he completely believes is the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter that it's so that what he's trying to do is completely horrible. Yeah, you know, he th- he thinks he thinks he's create he thinks he's creating the better a better universe for the for the galaxy, and he's really not. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't think they would be able to top book six for being my favorite, but I think seven actually managed to be my new favorite because it was really thrilling, and it, there were some really shocking <laughs> twists and reversals, and it had a lot of characters in it. All my favorite characters were back, and I I really appreciated the fact that the Laconians they weren't trying to kill everyone they were actually trying to act with restraint and you know just say if you surrender we won't hurt you so i I appreciated that because everybody in the series up till now has been horribly violent and murderous and just trying to kill everyone so i i really loved that the new villains were quote-unquote civilized and you know just looking to colonize but not to kill anyone that was yeah. a nice change of pace. Yeah, it's like well, the, the Nazis were the Nazis mm. were civilized to to people to the people they conquered too, except for, except for the you know the people they threw in the concentration camps. So you know, yeah, but yeah. I don't, I don't, I if refreshment, I, I may be wrong about this, but to my knowledge, the the Colonians had no interest in enslaving anyone. They were just taking over to civilize. The they the had system, no they right? had no interest in enslaving anyone. Correct. But you either followed their rules or you died. Yeah, they kind of remind me of like the ancient Egyptians, right? So with Diarte being the ancient you know, uh, Egyptian em- um, emperor or, or pharaoh. And yeah, you look at it, how do you build pyramids? Well, you have to find people to move rocks. So I think eventually in their society, there's going to be a slave class in order for the greater good. Because how else do you justify slavery? slavery? But did yeah. they have... Did they? I I don't know. Like like I said, I only read it once, so I'm I'm hazy. But to my, I don't remember them doing. I remember that criminals were were tested on with the proto molecule. But aside from that, did they do anything bad yeah, to people who cooperated? No, except you have to follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, then you get executed. Right? right? So it's it's yeah. all it's very much a military state, which is interesting because the two of the last bad guys. So we have Marco and we have uh, Durante. Uh, so the one guy is, is extreme terrorist, radical, who doesn't care about uh, Earthers or, or Martians. He just wants to establish OPA as a force, and he's willing to kill billions of people to do that. We got this guy who also 
doesn't mind killing people if need be, but he just wants to rule. And as long as you follow his rules, okay. If not... He wants, and he wants yeah. to rule for life, too. Not just his which, life. I mean, forever, okay? <laughs> if it's all these uh, experiments he's trying to live you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, which, I'm, I'm not saying he's a good which guy. Which always goes well. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm just saying that compared to that piece of shit, Marcos Anaros, <laughs> he was a lot better than that. Oh, God. Can't, you know, we, I miss the good old mm. Aaron Wrights of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, Marcos it takes a was, lot... It takes a lot to make me miss Aaron Wright and Mal. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like at least they were. I mean, they. I mean, they were horrible, but they were trying to kind of do something good. Whereas Marcos was. I mean, I know he was trying to build a new belt, but as as his own mathematician told him, what you're trying to do is mathematically impossible. And to 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 try to wipe out Earth, the only habitable planet in all of humanity. I mean, he to me, he was like the Osama bin Laden of the story. You know, the ultimate villain. Well, he didn't. He didn't care. He didn't care what happened as long as his people. And, and it, it, it's he's he. It's not even. He doesn't even like cared about his people. It's like it was all about him. And the way it, it was the way that you know every time something bad happened, he, he would you know twist it to say, "Oh, I meant to do that. Oh, I meant to do that. Oh, this is this is completely fine. We're 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 gonna." It's gonna be completely fine. So it's like I, I. This is the thing I wanted. To, I wanted to have happen. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of of a Lenin or a Stalin. Yeah, you know, sure, you have to break some some eggs to get to get an omelet, but you still want the omelet. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, uh, we should try to wrap it up because uh, we have to post a show on more than one feed this time around. Hopefully. <laughs> Yay! Yay! So uh, I guess. I guess there's no point in rec- in recommending people read the books at this point in the podcast because <laughs> if you're listening, you've already read them. So, uh, I, okay, before we leave, I, what do you guys expect? Read them. Yeah, you could. Yes, yes. What do you think is going to happen in book eight and book nine? How is this series going to end? Um, I think Holden's finally going to get himself killed. If not in Tiamat's Wrath, then then definitely in book nine. That's, I mean, he's been almost getting himself killed for this entire series. It's going to happen. Yeah. Eventually. Or he's or, or he's beco- going to become the new hybrid, and that's also not going to be very, very good. Mm. Or it could be. Who knows? Maybe maybe his sense of morality will help the protomolecule uh, figure out what it's supposed to do. There's also that, that you know, race that apparently the protomolecule was trying to save itself from, and we haven't seen anything... <laughs> about it yet we haven't seen anything from that yet so oh that's um, right yeah I forgot. Bunch, the game killers yeah there's a yeah. whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of shit that's about to happen and duarte is just not prepared yeah i think the gods are going to return and they will mm-hmm. be not happy yeah the ghoul are going, <laughs> are going to reopen the stargate and uh enslave the humans yeah yeah the humans are just ants to, and to that's cross, the problem to cross streams yeah, so I guess I guess the trilogy is going to end in a in a in a war between the Laconians and the Gate Killers, and basically the Gate Killers are going to wipe out the Laconians, taking care of that problem for us. But then we have to worry about the Gate Killers, and, and Holden human. will somehow have to reactivate the Miller program to reactivate the Gate Builders technology to save us from the bad guys. That's my yeah. Theory. Wow. No problem, right? No problem. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's going to be an that amazing be easy. read because that be easy, I've been right? waiting and waiting for these ancient godlike aliens to finally directly appear. So that's going to be very exciting. Yeah, what happens if it turns you know turns out that Stan also sh- shows up in a big spaceship and snaps his <laughs> fingers and that's it? Well, at least he'll kill oh half God. of the gate killers. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up, shall we, guys? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, it's been a great conversation, and we should do this again. Actually, what we should do, we should go on the crash couch and talk about the, the expense with these guys because they love the expense. <laughs> and I think we have a standing invitation to go on the show. So uh, if you ever want to go on a podcast, guys, go on the crash couch, it's, which is part of the When the Nerds Attack Network, believe it or not. And uh, they've been around. So uh, please, you can support the crash couch, support us. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, we are on Twitter at the Sci Fi Pubcast. And the network page is at Nerds Attack Pod. You can leave 
a review on Apple Music. Uh, was no app. I always screw this up. Apple Podcast. Yes, Apple Podcast. As we need some more reviews, uh, please leave a good one or a fairly good one, please. I'll send you stickers. <laughs> and you can send us. You know, use an old-fashioned email. Our email address is management at sci-fi space. I can be found on Twitter at, at Joel underscore Welch, my first and last name. Carrie, where can they find you at, on Twitter? You can find me at Carrie Blackfire42. That's K-E-R-I Blackfire42. And Derek? At Derek JBB. Well, I think we're getting pretty good at this with the Twitter addresses. I think having 21 shows on our belt is really helpful. Yeah. Lots of practice. Lots of practice. Well, folks, it's closing time. Please make it home safe and uh, please continue to love science fiction and, in particular, The Expanse. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Enjoy the fungus. <laughs> Music provided courtesy of Logan Rathbone. Podcast logo by Drew Copyrighted Joe Welch. Listen responsibly. And we can't wait for your next visit to our fine establishment. Cheers.